Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. Survive. Thrive. Stay alive. It's time to get prepared with the Prepping Academy Podcast. Sheepdog is in the house. How you doing, Sheepdog? I'm fine, sir. Thank you. I did my best on the nice. So, I, I mean... It's getting past your bedtime, and so we appreciate you joining us. <laughs> yes, sir. We're about 30 minutes late, but we're doing Yeah, it. we're okay. I called him one night at 9, and literally, I think his wife were in bed. He answered the phone, though. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Okay. So um, so I just want to ask you a question before we bring Joe, the big star, the big heavyweight hitter here. And tell me, you've been teaching his books. Before everyone comes on and before he comes on, I mean, just say a few words about him and his so, teaching. <clears throat> what I found when I got, I read these books was it's a practical application of skills in a real world format. In other words, numbers of people, how much land, all the day-to-day tasks that have to be performed and how to do it with minimal numbers. and it really made it drove home the point that you don't have resupply medical air or artillery. So um, you really have to make do with the numbers you have. So this really brought the light and kind of made me think about starting out like we did this year with mindset and then the basic skills to get everybody's mindset set to the real situation they may be in. Yeah. Awesome. So with that, that was perfect. That's exactly what I wanted you to say. With with that said, in the house, we have Joe, the author, the man, the myth, the legend, the the hero of Sheepdog. <laughs> <laughs> Look, with, with that introduction, I think I'm done here. I think I can just go home, right? Oh, no. There, there, we got so much information we want to we want to get from you at this point and sheepdog has got questions. I'm sure he's been this weekend. He took the whole weekend off just to come up with the like nine best questions he could ask you. Nice. Let me give you the, the best one first though, is, is how to pronounce my last name. Cause everyone always wonders. My parents didn't like me very much. So they made sure that my name rhymed all the way through Joe Dolio. It's, you know, it's just like, it's just like a spelled, um, but it made me unforgettable to people. Uh, and, and, and a little personal story to, to sidetrack us right at the beginning is when I was a young lad uh, joining the Marine Corps at 17 years old, this drill instructor, he was a Hispanic guy, Staff Sergeant Chavez. He said, Dulio, come here. And I, being the smart young lad I was, said, let me correct you because that's not how you say my name. <laughs> oh, that was a really, really bad idea. So, um you call me whatever you want. I'll listen. So, so you in the Marine Corps? 
I was. I was. And you know what? I, I saw one of your previous shows. You mentioned Just Cause. So we were dodging bullets in the same place at the same time. Yes, yes. I was in um, I was in the Air Force at the time from um, I was a SALT two unit at a Pope Air Force Base. And I was there from 86 to 90. And then I was a contractor for a year. Literally as a contractor, I made more money than my first four years in the military. For the military, doing the same job kind of thing. But, same hey, here. thank you for your service. I, mean, I appreciate it. That's awesome. So, um, well, thank you for being with us. Um, and we're, we are so delighted to have you. And, again, this will be going to a podcast where, you know, you know, we'll have some people listen to that as well. So um, with that, will you just let us know who, I mean, who is Joe Dulio? Did I get close? Dolio. But Dolio. Yeah. Um, well, um, I'll give you the short version and, uh, and we'll also tie into why we wrote the books in the whole thing. Okay. So okay. Um, I started out as a, as, as a young man, uh, joined the Marine Corps, uh, served as a military policeman. Uh, which is not nearly as cool as it sounds. In fact, when you tell other service members you're a military policeman, they're always like, oh, and then they walk away. But anyway, uh, that, that's what I did. Uh, my, my first action was was also in Panama. Uh, mm-hmm. But from there, I went on sort of a, a whirlwind tour to, to both sides of Africa, uh, doing some uh, evacuations. Being in the military police, you do some unusual things, like embassy evacuations are, are pretty common. Uh, and, uh, so I did two embassy evacuations after that. And, um, after that, I worked, uh, kind of bounced back and forth between corporate security world, uh, as a bodyguard for the Stroh's family, the Amway families, places like that, uh, and being a, a contractor doing that same type of job, uh, uh, you know, all around the, all around the place. Let's just say that in a few dusty mm-hmm. and dirty places where they don't like us very much. But um, that's kind of where a lot of the experience came from that I've, that I've poured into the books. And uh, I'm, I'm a third-degree black belt, an instructor in Tung Sudo, uh, Korean martial art. Um, and what's funny is, is when that was going on, I kind of had some life struggles, and I, and I kind of fell to a dark place. And my wife convinced me to t- go to this Bible study called Every Man a Warrior. And like most guys, when somebody says, hey, I want you to go sit in a room with a bunch of other dudes and talk about your problems, we're like, yeah. That ain't for me, bro. But right. I got in there and, and I went to this great program. And, and what I learned was that I wasn't the only guy having these struggles, right? Uh, it, it, it made it a lot easier to get through things. And that study really kind of turned me around. It taught me how to look at the Bible and how to find new stories. Well, what happened was, is I was finding these really cool war stories from the Old Testament. And these cool guys who were preppers, really, Nehemiah, um, uh, Elijah, all these guys, they have stories where they went out in the woods and survived, where they were fighting against an oppressive government that was chasing them down, and they survived. And I thought, well, that's kind of applicable to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I started telling the other guys in my Bible study these stories I was finding. Like, dude, that's not in my Bible. I'm like, trust me, it's there, bro. You just have to look for it. But um, somebody said, why don't you do this on a blog? So I started the Tactical uh, Wisdom blog at tactical-wisdom.com, where I would find these stories and, and explain how, say, the story of David not killing Saul but sneaking through his camp at night was applicable to you uh, as a prepper, right? Don't be the don't be the loudest person and get yourselves knocked out. Show that you're you that you have the skills, but not not necessarily looking for a confrontation. Things like that, and and people were really liking the blog. 
So then I decided, well, why don't I take this a step further and let's write it down. And um, so I did. I wrote that, wrote the first book, not really knowing where it was going to go. Um, and, and I thought that just putting a Bible verse at the top of each chapter that showed how it applied to, to your life and to your preparations uh, was a good idea. And people have just eaten it up and loved it. So uh, I'm thrilled. We're on book five. We're, who knows where we're going to stop, but we're already working on six and we've got ideas for a couple more. So we'll keep right on working. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. Well, well, awesome. That's a, that's a great story. My, I, you know, when I was looking to go into the military, my dad was former military and he said, if you join the military, I'll kick your. And so I joined the air force. So he did not want me to join the Marine Corps. Um, well, joining the Air Force is kind of like being in the Boy Scouts, isn't it? <laughs> Cub Scouts. Cub Scouts, I'm just, yeah. I'm just yeah. messing with you. I'm just messing with you. I mean, the Chair Force are a great bunch of dudes. So, <laughs> You know, I only went to Air Force bases that had golf courses, okay? So, um, so listen, back when I was in the Marines, the military police trained at Lackland. Oh, so, yeah. I'm going to tell you, that's the best chow hall I've seen in my entire career there. So, Well, you never went to Pope Air Force Base. It was open 24 hours a day. It was pretty awesome. Nice, um, nice. And, you know, um, I want to address a couple quick comments in the, in the chat real quick, if you don't mind. Yes. Uh, one is, is, is Bob saying I'm quite an artist. Bob just bought my books, and I sent him a piece of hand-drawn art. If you all don't know, my stick figure art, world-renowned. It'll be oh, worth really? something someday. It's worth exactly nothing right now, but someday, <laughs> someday, someday it'll be worth something. But the other one, somebody asked me about, uh, please explain Every Man a Warrior. So Every Man a Warrior is a, uh, at the books right here, it's, it's a Bible study put on by, uh, by Trans World Radio. It's taught all over the world. It's a three-book series that helps men deal with the issues they face in life. So the first book is about how to walk with God, how to pray, how to study the Bible, how to memorize verses. Uh, and what the conditions are for answered prayer. So many people say, look, I pray for things all day long, and God doesn't give them to me. Well, there are conditions you have to meet in order for God yes. to meet your prayers. And yep. So that's what book one teaches you. Book two talks about marriage and raising children, which is where most men go wrong at some point <laughs> in their life. And uh, so it gives you uh, a whole bunch of ideas and thoughts and biblical foundation for that. And then book three is the other areas that men struggle, work, uh, going through hard times, uh, maintaining your own purity and uh, making your life count for something. So it's a great, great program. We've now added a fourth book um, that I was part of the development team on that addresses the the battle against pornography, which is in everything we have in America right mm -hmm. now. Uh, even yep. the most basic TV show is now softcore porn uh, and how men can resist that and deal with it. It's really a great foundational program for any guy who wants to study the Bible. So I hope I answered your question, uh, Echo Papa, but here we are. Hey, let's take a quick break. Has your data been hacked? Do you feel uneasy about the vulnerability of your personal information online? Were you involved in the Target, LinkedIn, or Microsoft data leaks? Don't know? If not, then pay attention. Join Forrest Garvin from PrepperNet for a free webinar on privacy and security. Gain insights into safe internet browsing, VPNs, crafting online aliases, Secure emails, detecting if your data has been hacked, and managing passwords. Secure your spot today for this webinar on privacy and security. It's free. This webinar delves into comprehensive strategies for bolstering your online privacy. 
We've got you covered. From fortifying your passwords to shielding your financial information and mastering state-of-the-art encryption techniques. We're offering two convenient dates to suit your schedule. Reserve your spot now at PrepperNet.com privacy. Don't let cyber threats erode your peace of mind any longer. Take the first step toward a safer, more secure online experience by joining us for our free webinar. Remember, knowledge is power when it comes to safeguarding your privacy. Sign up now at PrepperNet.com privacy. We'll see you there. That is awesome. I didn't even know we we're going to be talking about God in the Bible. And that's, that's, you know, I, I'm getting, I just went to an every man of warrior conference in North Carolina and I ran into really? Marcus who was in the chat there. So, okay. Awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So, Hey, that is, that is all. And, and you're from uh, Michigan. I am from Michigan, uh, born and raised in Michigan, uh, left to, to live in California and North Carolina for a while when I was in the Marine Corps. But, uh, Come back to Michigan and stayed here the whole time. So every time I follow you, you're down in North Carolina. <laughs> well, that's that is due to the the circumstances of my life introduced me to NC Scout about two years ago, uh-huh. and uh, you know I'm one of these guys who I could talk a great game, I can put things on the internet, but when it comes to meeting people, sometimes it's a little I get a little worried and stressed about how how it's going to go. And and Matt and I both were a little bit nervous when we met, but we became like brothers within 10 minutes. And so now uh, NC scout and I run courses at his facility. Uh, he runs the courses. I just sit around and look good uh, and, and hang out. But, but what we're doing is building a whole community, just like prepper net. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're having folks come down, they do scouting courses, patrolling courses, radio courses, whatever it is, but all the real work. And you guys know this from what you're doing here. The real work isn't in the class. The real work is the networking and the and the fellowship and the camaraderie you have when you share a meal and maybe a beverage around a fire and talk about the day and talk about your life. That's where you build relationships. So that's what what we're doing. Uh, and um, we actually just went out to North Carolina, or not North Carolina. We just went out to Montana last weekend. Uh, me and NC Scout and, and and a guy named Stan that, that I'm on a show with every. Uh, every other day or so. Uh, and we looked at some property to do another training center. So we'll be splitting time between North Carolina and Montana teaching classes. And the good news is, uh, I know a lot of you are already using my books for classes, but I'm creating a class for each of the books. So I've got a field craft class coming mm-hmm. up. I've got a defensive operations class coming up uh, and then uh, and scouting and patrolling. And we're going to continue all the way on. So we're good. Stuff. Well, um, Sheepdog's already created them classes for you. Maybe you can get his notes. <laughs> right. I'll just I'm still get his curriculum. He already he's already rolling it. <laughs> Sheepdog, jump in. So yeah, we uh yeah, gathering around and doing training when you go out in the field and put all the PowerPoint to use is when you really start to bond with people. And uh the more difficult the training, the more stress you can induce, the more bonding that occurs. And uh, so 2024 is going to be a little bit more intensive training, more application, stressful stuff, not too hard, but not real easy. But um, yeah, I really appreciate these books a whole lot. And uh, that uh, Every Man a Warrior, I'll look those up too as well. So I was curious, though, how that compares to Colonel Grossman's book. Uh, he wrote a companion piece 
two on combat and on killing uh, about how Christians reconcile. Yes, sir. Yeah, spiritual combat. Yeah, I was just curious how much those books parallel or separate in in the ideas. Um, well, it's it's completely different. Every man a warrior is just more about fighting for your family and your biblical role as their leader and protector. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman's book, if you guys haven't read it, is absolutely an amazing thing. And the very first prayer he puts on there, I think, is kind of a guiding a guiding light for the rest of us. Um, I, I highly recommend this book on spiritual combat. It's about, hey, man, make me better and stronger and faster than the evil forces that are out there in the world, and let me be a force for good. And uh, that's what it's all about. So every man a warrior thing, they just use warrior because they want men to fight for their families. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit different of a concept. But I certainly uh, drag my guys along, kicking and screaming into the to actual warrior realm. The first time we uh, we had we taught a bunch here in Michigan, we actually taught a martial arts move at the end of every class too. So, good times. Yes, and I think the way you incorporate the biblical stories in your book adds emphasis and importance and historical relevance to the the skills that you lay out that every person should have. You know, that's absolutely right. Like, like at the, at the end of the one that I really liked the most is my favorite. It's probably at the end of Fieldcraft where I've got Nehemiah and most people look at the book, the Bible as a, as a collection of rules and things don't do this or Susie begat Johnny and all that nonsense that you find in numbers and Deuteronomy. <laughs> but, but when you get into some of the true biblical stories, there are guys who are trying to rebuild a civilization after a collapse and Nehemiah literally lived it. Like he said, I, me and my boys never went anywhere without our armor and our weapons. And the people who were rebuilding the city had to have a weapon in one hand and build with the other. And you know what? When we talk about prepping and preparing to recover from some sort of a catastrophic event, that's the world we envision. And I felt that telling those stories in a modern context was a great way to make the book apply, just like you said. So, All right. Good deal. So I, I wanted to start like with the first book, if I could. Um, yeah. I just was curious. So we started this year with mindset. That was the very first class we did. We taught a class on mindset. And I was wondering how you were able to move a constant reinforcement of the stages of mindset through that baseline book, because it just builds till the end of the book where you've established what, what should be a proper mindset? So what's what's important is when you look at the, some of the writings by Selko and Fairfall and some of the others, people here tend to underestimate the security aspect. When you look at anyone who's ever lived in an actual collapsed society or in a war zone or in an area of mass civil unrest for any period of time, security, security, security is the mindset. And so I wanted to create that imperative throughout the entire book series. And you notice that continues into book two and into book three that, that listen, no matter what else you're doing, you might think you're going to be living little house on the prairie cosplay and out back. But even then they had to worry about Indian attacks. So you need to be worried about the bad guys coming to the wire. Crime will get worse, not better. And so um, I guess to me that Realizing that the constant in human history has always been violence, that's why I wanted to create that mindset and keep talking about it. And and, and I hate to keep going back to the Christian angle, but it's so important. Jesus himself said the same thing. He's like, look, man, if you don't have a sword, 
take your coat off, go mm-hmm. sell it and get one because you're going to need it. Right. And uh, it's just an important principle going all the way back to, and I wrote this in an article just two nights ago, uh, going all the way back to Solomon when he was writing 3000 years ago, he wrote Ecclesiastes and then he said, two are better than one, two can defend themselves, but one is easily overpowered. Mm. Even back then, security was a concept. And so that's why it is such a big piece of the book in there. I, and and it, you did a really good job doing that, I think. Um, also in that baseline, one of the things I think is really underestimated is fitness. Um, most books dwell on the gear and the, the other accoutrements that go with it. But uh, that fitness section was really relevant. And I wondered why you included it. Um, because I've had my own struggles with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I find in the prepper community is that everyone, uh, they have their online identity, which is quite frequently not the same as their true actual persona. And one of the biggest challenges to getting people involved in preparedness is look, I'm out of shape. So what I said was do one push up today, do two push ups tomorrow, and you've improved your fitness by 50% in one day. And keep doing that. Um, one of the biggest risks and challenges that people don't understand is that your main stressor in life is going to be moving. You're, you're not going to be driving in a car right now. We'll take a car all the way to the mailbox, right? Uh, you're not going to be taking a car everywhere in, in any sort of a of a collapsed society. You're going to be walking for a couple of reasons. One, cars will attract attention if they're still running. And two, you're not going to be able to get gas. So the the reason why we had to include physical fitness is there are a lot of folks right now who think they're going to walk out the door and walk 10 miles and they're not going to walk one mile before they collapse. Having the ability to move a distance while carrying weight is probably the number one preparedness skill people need to work on first, then get to something else. Um, it was so crucial. So what I decided was instead of people getting out here and you know telling them to do P90X or some other crazy fitness system, let's focus on just functional fitness. This the push up is getting up off the ground. Great skill to have. The uh, I guess when I was in Marine Corps, we called it a bend and thrust. Now we call it a burpee. Mm-hmm. Being able to get down quickly and get back up quickly. That's an important skill. So if I can do a fitness activity that relates directly to that, why wouldn't I? Lunges apply to taking a knee when you're out patrolling. And listen, I thought I was pretty solid with that until I got out in in NC Scouts, North Carolina Hills with a 60-pound pack on, and I knelt down, and it's it's different on the mountains getting back up (laughs) uh, on flat ground that I have in Michigan. So um, fitness is just vital, and I think everyone needs to do that. I'm going to vote right now um, that we leave them the fitness portion out of the books. Um, (laughs) Do do I have a second? Yeah. Do I have a second? <laughs> so February I, 2024, we're bringing in some trainers. Oh, to, great. Start God. laying okay. out nutrition and fitness. So. Now, I, Joe, I've lost some weight. I've lost almost um, almost 40 pounds. Good news. And, I found it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, and now everyone's like, oh, well, now you're getting, I won't say the word skinny, but you're getting smaller. Now you need to work out. And every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, okay. And that, it's true. And you know what? One push up I can do. Maybe tomorrow I can do two. 
there you go. And, and, and the key thing is, is you don't need to be able to run a marathon and you don't need to be able to lift 500 pounds. You need to be able to put on your pack and move four miles in a little over an hour. Right. Yeah, that is true. Uh, and, so and I'm not one of these guys who pushes for four miles an hour because I think you need yeah. to be able to move quietly and you can't right. do it that fast. So just this but, weekend, uh, one of my family members are like, hey, should I get ceramic plates or should I get, you know, metal plates? And I'm like, hey. Let me, let me put these on and you tell me which one you prefer to walk with. And he's like, so, holy mo I, I made sure I put the side plates in too. Yeah. So I gave him the whole front and back with the side plates. He goes, yeah, I think I'll spend the extra money and get like ceramic. <laughs> so we had a guy at the, at the, at the last recce scout and recce course. It's six days long. So on day five, he's like, how long are we going to be out there for this exercise? I'm like, you're going to be out there probably five or six hours and moving. He goes, well, I want to try doing it in my steel plates. I'm like, have you ever done this before? No, I think I'm going to be good. I'm like, all right. And man, at the end of the day, he was just drenched in sweat. He's like, I'm not doing that again. I'm like, we need to do it, but not necessarily so much at one time, right? Right. Work your way into it. So many guys have all this gear and they've never put it all on and mm -hmm. walked. It's a very big difference. So, yeah. Yeah. We just did that uh, this month on our yep, yeah. outing. Uh, bug out bag, plate carrier, all that stuff, and a lot of lessons were learned. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you got you got to get on, put it on, and move around in it, and decide what works and what doesn't. Right. So the number one phenomenon we see in in the classes is on Sunday everyone starts out with all this stuff, and by Saturday, the following Saturday, everyone have ripped out all, everything that's unnecessary in their gear down to the bare minimum. So uh, you, you have to get out and actually move in it and then realize maybe, maybe I'm carrying too much. So, Yes, sir. All right. Does anybody have any questions on that book one? So what we'll do in the chat room, if you have a question, like type like three question marks like this, um, I'll show you guys because it, it's hard to follow sometimes. And then your question. While, while we're waiting for a question to pop up, I want to, one of my guys is in the chat there and he mentioned something. Um, I, uh, I'm on a show every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday called the Council on Future Conflict. And if you want a show that raises your awareness and your mindset about security issues, that's it. We do is we look at the news and we try to separate the, the right-leaning propaganda and the left-leaning propaganda and say, this is what's really going on and this is what, this is why it matters to you. And this is what you should be looking for going down the road. For example, we predicted this weekend's civil unrest, like almost to the minute. We said, hey, watch for more Palestinian and Israeli violence here in America as things go on. And now we've had some shootings and we've had some more takeovers. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had a governor's house surrounded. And uh, boy, it was in Michigan. I bet if it was a bunch of guys in camouflage, it would have got a different response than the, uh, the oh, pro-Palestinian yeah. guys got. But, but whatever. <laughs> the Prepping Academy Podcast. What are you prepping for? Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. You're listening to The Prepping Academy. The information you need before the world ends. 
how important do you think it is hmm. to have a global view of the world and understand how unrest or socioeconomic or political failure in another country can affect here? Oh, man. So we, we have built such a global supply chain that people don't understand the ripples in the pond, right? So you might think, Okay, so what if these guys, this is what we talked about on Friday. So what if these rebels in Myanmar seized all that territory back from the federal government right by the Chinese border? Well, that's because the Chinese are going to move fentanyl production into that area, and that fentanyl is going to make its way to you uh, and your neighborhood. That's why it matters. And so uh, it's vital that you get a much more global view. A lot of people might think, well, why would a war between China and the Philippines impact my life? Well, 70% of the world's shipping passes through the Straits of Malacca, uh, and that would be right in the, the crosshairs of that battle. And it's when we created this global marketplace and we shortened up the timelines of deliveries uh, on, our, on our supply chain, we created a situation in which the smallest ripple in a pond uh, an mm-hmm. attempted coup in Kazakhstan can disrupt everything going on in your life, and you need to pull those threads. And that's kind of what we talk about on the show. Where can they find that show and listen to it? Is it on YouTube? Uh, yeah, it's on it's on the Future Conflict channel on YouTube. It's also okay. on Rumble under Future Conflict. So okay, awesome. I think um, I've seen that a couple times, um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I have. Yes. Yeah, I see one question about how do we get the books? Um, you can find them on Amazon, and that's great for Jeff Bezos, but it's better for me if you yeah. find them at tactical-wisdom.com, <clears throat> and they're on my website. Uh, yep. I also have T-shirts there and some other stuff. So, I'm sure um, Sheepdog probably has some T-shirts and hats. Oh. Listen, if you, if you order the books from me, you'll get them signed. And as Bob Johnson there in the chat attests, I might even throw in one of my world famous, but not very valuable and not very good stick drawings. That is a very original. I like that. (laughs) See, yes, that is pretty awesome. Pencil or crayon? (laughs) Well, so so here's the thing. I can't do them in crayon because I eat the crayons. Oh. (laughs) (sighs) So so you I'm going to ask a question about the latest book because I, I doubt that um, Sheepdog has read that yet. But your latest book, um, what was your thought of why you felt you needed a first aid book like that? Um, well, I know that they're in the chat. The Alton's have put out a fantastic book where they're, you know, all, the, all those medical books that they have are just absolutely fantastic. But there's a, a need for a baseline standard. And when you look at the first aid and medical books that are out there in general right now, they all count on that golden hour that you're mm-hmm. going to get medical treatment in less than an hour. But we're training for a world in which there's no medical treatment. You're it. Whatever the first aid is even a misnomer. It's only aid. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I also feel like it's the one um, it's the one preparedness skill you can use today. And you'll mm-hmm. probably use it the most out of any other preparedness skill you have. We spend thousands of dollars buying guns and thousands of hours in training on the range, but barely anyone knows how to splint a broken leg. Mm-hmm. Even in our community, when you start talking about first aid, everyone wants to talk about gunshot wounds. And we talk about our tourniquets and our pressure dressings and all that stuff. But if I'm in a, in a, 
in a collapse or some sort of a disaster and I fall down and break my ankle, that's equally lethal to me as a gunshot wound because I can't move to cover if weather gets bad. Mm -hmm. I can't get myself hidden if bad folks come around. So I felt that there was a need for not a not a high level book like uh, like Joe and Amy put out, but a real basic level. Hey, man, this will get you to cover until you can start doing that other stuff. I think we needed that gap filled. And I've always wanted to do one because I think it's just such a vital skill. Mm -hmm. It's very heavy on environmental injuries because we don't think about those. Right. We don't think about cold weather injuries and hot weather injuries very often. We want to talk about the cool guy stuff. Mm So, yeah. So my group, I've had a group since um, really Y2K. And when you get wounded, we just put you down. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what that that brings up one of the questions i see here in the chat uh by gar pa 1037 do you address senior prepping in any of your books i think that that um 757 sheepdog probably agree with this i mentioned the older and less able folks all of the time about mm-hmm. listen there are plenty of things they can do in a group right mm-hmm. don't count them out that guy can right. man that guy might not be able to run up and down the hill and chase the bad guys away but he can man a radio or he can run yeah. the medical shack, or he can run the supply room, mm-hmm. whatever it is you have. So, so the answer is yes, we do address prepping with, with older and senior folks and, and meeting them where they're at, right? Doing what you can to help them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thomas O'Reilly asked, would someone repeat the name of that show? Council on Future Conflict, CFC. Yep. I address it in my group's discussion as well, because a lot of elderly people will come up and ask me, and I, I, and they're like, I don't have any physical needs. I said, well, the best thing that can help you then is be the smartest person in the room and um, know all the skills that you can, but you got time to learn them. And also we have a lady that can take dirt and make it taste like wonderful. That's one, that's going to be one of the best skills ever in Absolutely. a grid down. And when you can take dirt and, and some grass and, and, you, and people are eating it going, wow, this is good. That's one of the best skills to have. And she can do that. It's amazing. So, yeah, you, you got to have all those different slots filled. Right. And those people, quality yep. of life matters. And yes. uh, and I put that in a couple of the books that you got to have some sort of a quality of life. You need <laughs> books. So you might need a librarian to kind of keep track of what you have. Yep. And um, so for Sandra, no, I can't answer your question about antibiotics, but. I bet Amy can. So yes, yeah. yeah, they have a book. There was another question back here a little bit. It says, uh, "Oh no, that was about the show name." It says yeah, here we, t- Marcus we yeah, yeah, Marcus did. We tend to so focus just, on a lot of gear. Yeah, go ahead and read that one for us. Yeah. Um, so um, great advice on building a functional kit. Um, but I was wondering if you could change any recommendations based on events, recent events, ice like South Africa? Uh, actually, yeah, because I actually spent a lot of time talking to my two friends in South Africa, Gideon and Canine Reaper uh, from Twitter. Gideon and, and Canine Reaper have both been on our show. Um, absolutely. I, I would uh, I would include a lot more emphasis on first aid gear uh, because you're more likely to encounter that uh, as an outcome. So I guess from the South Africa thing, so what happens is, is Reapers are the community safety patrol and they'll come across a guy being attacked by, by seven or eight dudes. Mm-hmm. There's two of them. They're not going to fight those guys off. They're going to wait till those guys are gone and then go and treat that wounded person. 
So maybe, uh, maybe having some extra first aid gear. Um, and the other thing is, is having stuff, um, that's maybe a little more lighter weight. I know that we can get into the ultra light backpacking group, but that stuff might be too light. Getting stuff that you can move with better, I think is what I've learned from watching recent events um, and having different loadouts. I know in my, in my books, I mentioned having three or four different bags, maybe making a civil disturbance bag is probably not a bad idea. Um, and that, that might be something that goes in there. So that's a good question by Marcus. Yes is the answer, but I don't know the answer yet. I'm still thinking Speaking it of bags. Um, Sheepdog has like you wouldn't believe the bag system he has. So he's laughing about it because he knows I'm not making fun of. Him. I admire what he has, but he has all kinds of systems. Go ahead, Sheepdog. I know you want to jump in there. Yeah. So Forrest makes fun of my bags. Um, <laughs> my work requires me to travel, and it could be an hour away or it could be 400 miles away. Is my pretty much the end of my area is 400 miles distance. So my everyday carry bag changes with the distance I am from home. Um, 400 miles away is an inch bag. I'm never coming home. I'm, there's no way I'm walking back. Yeah. I'm 400 miles away. So those bags are redundant, but they're scaled to fit the need. So what you were saying about having things made, like I carry a chest rig to church it's extra trauma pads, extra vents, extra nasopharyngeals, and it's it's this big, and it stays in my car. Yeah, if something happens. I have things that I can deal with multiple casualties at church or at an event versus carrying a big everyday carry bag. Yeah, I was so, just looking for one of my bags that I do that exact thing with. They're like little removable bags you can transfer between bags with that extra stuff, like you're talking about. So. Uh, I've got the same thing. I've got one get home bag that I throw in my car when I'm traveling within the state. But my vehicle looks a lot different when I go to North Carolina or Montana. I've got a lot different gear set and I might even take different clothes and, and things like that. So that's really important. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. Yeah, it's that's good. I'm glad it was brought up because it's very important to understand your environment and the location you're going to because the needs are definitely different. Not so much Michigan to Montana, except for the elevation, but the climate's kind of similar. But if I was to leave here now and go to Montana, it's a totally different world. Uh, Elevation, temperature, snow, all those things are are things you have to contend with. So, yeah, it's very important to scale your bags and and to understand how they're set up. So that was a really good point. There's a couple of good points being made in the chat, too, like BG, empty bags. Yeah, I carry a, a collapsible bag that folds up real small. So let's say I've got to dump my car. I'm going to walk home and it's going to be, you know, a couple of days. I've got the collapsible bag for things I find along the way that won't fit in my bag. That's already full. Right. Mm-hmm. Pick some things up there. And somebody else mentioned those collapsible wagons. I've got one too. Mine happens to be camouflage, but those cap collapsible wagons are a godsend. Uh, mm-hmm. Fill them full of stuff and drag them behind. So, so um, if you notice Beth here, we do make fun of her car because her car is like her bug out bag slash retreat. And she, she it, it's full. And when she goes to like um, any time she's traveling, it is absolutely packed. And we make fun of her a lot because of she puts everything in there. Maybe she can go to your class and learn how to just put the necessary things in there. Oh no. When I go down to North Carolina, they're like, you have so much stuff in your car. I'm like, yeah, because I don't know if I'm going to need it all to get home. Don't encourage her. Yeah. No, no, don't, don't. It's terrible. 
<laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. It is terrible. It'll take her a half know. hour. It'll take her a half hour to find it, but it's there. <laughs> so, so she don't go ahead. Um, so uh, I wanted to move on to the second book. We kind of covered that baseline. And, and again, that baseline was a really, really good book. It brought a lot of really good things to light that people forget about or underestimate more than likely. So the Fieldcraft book dealt specifically with Fieldcraft, and it was kind of everything, uh, movement, organization, how to scout, how to recce, how to do all these things, and it was a really good book. Um, So we concentrated this year, our Fieldcraft portion of this was water, fire, shelter, food, in that order, because water is the most important thing. Um, But the way this was laid out, the survival mindset section, um, the brain is an amazing thing. And I didn't know if you could discuss the survival mindset portion of that chapter two on book two. Sure. So the survival mindset thing comes mostly, most of that comes from um, U.S. military SEER training, but more specifically, the, um, the U.S. Marine Corps Mountain Warfare Training Center. When I was a, a wee lad, I, I was I was getting uh, I got sent to North Carolina as a military policeman, and they were getting ready to deploy to Norway for a drill. So I had to go do a rotation at the Mountain Warfare Training Center. And me being a cocky kid that I was, I was like, born and raised in Michigan. There's no weather in California that I need to worry about. Four days later, I'm clinging to the side of a mountain in Bridge uh, Bridgeport, California, making deals with God if He'll just let me live. Right? Uh, so I learned a valuable lesson there about survival mindset, and the first thing was don't get cocky. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I've been through there now on both the winter and the summer rotations, and it's really an advanced course in survival. The key thing is, if I tell myself I'm never going to give up then I'm going to do a lot better than if I just say, oh, man, I'm done. And there are stories after story after stories of people who've gotten in a survival situation and said, I can't do this. I'm not going to make it. And they die in four hours because they decided right at the outset, Mm -hmm. I can't do this. Um, Meanwhile, you've got literal children who have survived days in the wilderness because they don't know to be worried. So what that tells me is that our mindset is the most important contributing factor to whether or not I survive. If I can maintain my thinking in a logical manner rather than freaking out, I'll know, hey, I got to get water first. Then I got to go and get other stuff, right? Then I got to work on shelter. Then I got to work on food. Or if it's already raining, I need to work on shelter and then work on water. Um, If you can keep a logical thought process going rather than panic, you're going to survive. And that's why that chapter is so vital, and I loved writing it, uh, taking that survival acronym and applying it to to real-life situations. Pretty cool. Yes, sir. Uh, the other question was on the, the, the section you did on moving, and uh, we've had several people. So I used to backpack. I used to mountaineer. I used to do all those things, right? Ten miles in the mountains on a trail is a good day. It's a solid day in the mountains. Yeah, so that's on a trail, and I'm carrying a pack, and nobody's looking for me. Nothing's going to happen. Exactly so right. The way you broke that down, um, I didn't know for the audience who may not have read it. If if you could go into detail, why the speed of your movement and the pace is so important. Yeah. So so I recommend rucking as the ultimate fitness activity 
because it's exactly what you're training for, right? The ability to throw on a backpack and move over rough ground. But the problem is, is you get these groups like, like Go Ruck, fantastic group, but they're not doing it for the same reason we are. Right. They're doing mm-hmm. it to go to these 5Ks and they're doing it for time and speed, right? And carrying a 25-pound weight plate on my back is not the same thing as carrying all of my gear. That's an important consideration, right? Don't just throw weight in your pack. Throw your actual gear in your pack. So you're getting it shifts a and everything. It shifts differently. It, it, it sits differently on your back. And more importantly, it doesn't put as much strain on your back because that weight pulling you back is, is a rough thing. So mm-hmm. they're doing it for time. And everyone says, oh, you want to get to four miles in an hour, four miles in an hour. Well, a normal human being at a walking pace without weight is three miles an hour. But the Marine Corps even doesn't want people to go that fast. They want them to go about one and a half in an hour over open ground, be, or I mean, over broken ground. Because you want to be quiet. You don't want to be just busting through and moving. If I'm moving fast while carrying weight, I'm thinking about breathing. God, let me make one more step, one more step, one more step. I'm not thinking about what sort of bad things are out there. I'm not thinking about the trail I'm leaving behind. And I'm not thinking about not being seen and heard. Um, the best way to deal with any conflict in a, in a collapse or disaster situation is to avoid it and not be seen and not be heard. So rather than trying to go as fast as I can cross country, I want to focus on going fast but quiet. So slow that way down. Mm-hmm. Stop trying to make that 15-minute mile. Go for the 20 to 25-minute mile, and you're going to be in great shape. But remember that even the Marine Corps doesn't expect people to go that fast. They expect them to go about half as fast. If you're moving and you're under stress and there are bad folks around, you want to slow way down. So I never push for speed. I push for distance and carrying all of your gear. And um, so that's why it's in there that way. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I tried to get a lot of people in my group. So, you know, what's the um, light hand? Many hands make light work. Yeah. So I just passed my stuff off to other people (laughs) and let them just follow me. That's delegation, and that's a great tool. (laughs) <laughs> um, that's an important thing. But one of my favorite things in that second book is the land navigation part. Now I've had, uh, active duty Marines. I had a, a Sergeant major call me. who was like, listen, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm making every one of my Marines read this section because you broke it down, uh, air force. St- no, I'm just kidding. He so said, you broke it down like to, nice. to the most basic level so that everyone can get it and understand it. And that's going to be a big part of my classes coming out. Uh, and doing it is, you know, what? a lot of us know how to use a compass and a lot of us know how to look at a map. We don't know how to use the two together to find where we are on Earth and find where I'm going or what I'm looking at. And mm-hmm. if you read that section of my book, I think you'll, you'll agree that makes it pretty simple to figure out where you are within 10 feet, as long as I have a good map and a good compass. So, What, what would be your, I guess, Topo's USGS normal scale? would be a recommendation. So most maps are, are one to 24,000. I, I recommend getting them in, in, in one to 25,000 for a reason, uh, because they make a lot of protractors in one to 25,000 so that I can read that map and know exactly where I am. Um, a great site for that is mytopo.com. You can order a map centered on anywhere. You don't have to get just the quads. You right. give them an address and it'll build you a map around that. And they'll make them in one to 24,000. But I always go to one to 25,000 because I just like using MGRS because 
the more digits I add to MGRS, the, the more precise my location. And uh, it's just something I've been doing. And I also know how to do the math from MGRS. I don't know how to do it from the uh, latitude and longitude. I'm not that smart. Yes, sir. Well, Joe, I can tell you, we did a, a, we went to a national park here. When I say we, um, other people, I didn't go to this, <laughs> but I, I do know tent. that they ended up at a restaurant. Yes. A bar. And that is, that is because I was not there. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think Beth was a part of that expedition. So, um, but they so were I mean, navigated to the bar on purpose. I got you. Purpose, yes. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I'm sure she did. But we've done that. I mean, at least our group. I didn't make it to that. Um, but um, why didn't you make that? She. Oh, you were sick. I think, weren't you? Yes, sir. I, that's when I had that surgery stuff last year. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, we try to do a bar and grill. By the way, <laughs> yeah, Bigfoot bar and grill. Nice. She well, probably do a land that's nav. Cool. We try to do a land nav every year, just a refresher. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those skills where if you don't use it very often, you're going to have trouble doing it. And so many people have gotten over-reliant on GPS. And I mentioned in the book why that's a terrible, terrible idea, because it's the first thing that everyone's going to shut down, even your own government. And yes, they've already done it before during protests uh, at the uh, Second Amendment rally in uh, in, in Virginia. Yep. So uh, and if if I know that the entire U.S. system is controlled from one building on one Air Force base in Colorado, you can bet the Chinese and the Russians know that, too. Right. So you got to learn how to do that. The, the Earth will always be a giant magnet. Uh, and uh, you got to learn how to use those maps. Um, I saw a couple of questions there that popped up. One was from Marcus about recommendations for folks who have the things but haven't trained on them. Yeah, listen, it does you no good to own gear that you don't know how to use. Uh, if you get something, get it out of the box, get out in the field and use it right away. That's why I love these camps you guys are doing and, and all the things that, that I'm doing with NC scout down at his place. And you've got to get out with your gear and learn how to use it. Um, so many people have radios that they've never programmed or never taken out mm-hmm. of the box, or they got this really nice compass because someone told them to get that compass, but they don't know what it does, what, you know, why right. there's a mirror, why there's a sighting line, why the bezel turns, uh, you have to get out and use that gear. So that's really, really important. Um, and the other question is Thomas O'Reilly, any of my books on audiobook? Uh, no. And here's why. I don't want you to listen to it one time. I want you to have it as a reference. There's a reason why they are the size that they are and, and they're not very big. It's so that you will take it and shove it in your pocket and take it out in the woods and use it. So, um, I don't even like that they're on ebook. I, I only did it on ebook because it's a really easy way. Yeah, look, he's got them on. I like the notes sticking out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't even like it being on ebook. But what happens is, is people get the ebook and then they decide, oh man, I actually want to buy this book. And they go yeah. and get it. So no, I'm not putting them on audio. So I did that. I bought the ebooks first and then had to buy the, the books. But I will yeah. say, most people in PrepperNet, because we do have a lot of support with pro, um, programming Belfangs. But what I've noticed more than anything is the pace beads. They have them. Yeah. <laughs> but they're like, okay, what are these for again? How do I use these? <laughs> now, we, we do have a guy in Charlotte that's got that teaching how to use pace beads pretty much down pat. He does a really good job with it. So uh, most of the people that have been to an orienteering class or bug out mm-hmm. camp, they've been through one of his classes or he does the class while we're doing 
the field portion of orienteering, and he does a really good job. The key thing is knowing your pace count so you know when to move the beads. So Right. Yeah. And terrain, understanding your pace on terrain. Because yeah. you walk different uphill mm-hmm. and downhill. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, well, what I the I wanted to get in. Anybody got any more questions on the field craft? But um, I think it's really where you really start to get into the to the dirt part of this of this series is really understanding how to apply the things from the first book. And that's one thing I really did enjoy is these books are you build every book builds up from the skills from the previous book to the next book. You're constantly adding to your skill set. You're constantly adding to your mindset. And uh, I can't, I enforce mindset a lot. Your your brain's your biggest asset and your worst enemy. So you really, you got to get it under control and you have to control your brain. So, um, so when I got to the defensive operations book, um, I really like how you laid it out because uh, I was wondering how you came up with like the numbers people wise for. So I, I like to call the defensive operations books uh, MP operations for civilians. So basically this is, this is what military police do in, in, in theater, right? So those numbers of people to man things all come from that training. So like the part about setting up a roadblock, it's two MP teams. That's that's six to eight people, depending on which service you have. Uh, and that's the number that it takes in order to do it effectively. And if you add more people, it gets even more effective. So I just went off experience. Um, so basically, the role of military police isn't what a lot of people think. There's, there's the garrison military police who are like the cops on the base. That's not my thing. That's not what I did. That's not that's not what I ever done. Uh, I was a field MP, which is basically like the security team for the rest of the of the unit. So behind the unit, we would set up checkpoints and roadblocks to keep the civilians out of their way or to look for enemy infiltrators or protecting command posts. And that's all the skills that are in defensive operations, right? How to set up a checkpoint at the entrance to your facility is just like setting up an entry point to a command post and setting up a checkpoint on the road to gather information is the same as it is in the military police. So that's basically where I came up with those numbers and the procedures is just based off of my experience in the military police in executive protection, because they do the same thing. And also as a contractor uh, doing security work, same kind of deal. Thank you. And I guess the, the biggest lesson that you drive home is that there is no error, there is no resupply, there is nobody coming to help you. So um, can you kind of, I guess, reinforce that for us? So the the entire point of of defensive operations is to set up your own area security operation to make bad guys consider going anywhere but your place. Because if I decide, hey, listen, we're just, our neighborhood's going to defend ourselves, we're just going to, we're going to try to be quiet and let nobody see us. But if the bad guys show up, There's no police coming. You're going to have to deal with them. Isn't it better to have checkpoints and roadblocks and let them see you doing patrols and let them see you setting up checkpoints around your property to see, to say, hmm, these folks know what they're doing. I'm going to go to the next place over and deal with them. It's way better. Plus, I'd rather deal with bad elements a mile or two out than I would at my front door. I'd rather deal with them not at the entrance to my neighborhood 
but at the at the highway interchange where they tried to come off and into our little community. And we've been running a joint checkpoint there saying, hey, I'm sorry, you have to be a local to come this way. Or, hey, there's help down the other way. Go mm-hmm. keep going that way. Do whatever you can to encourage them. And you're not going to be getting help. There's no fire department. There's no police department coming. You need to be that security force. Uh, so you have to step up and everyone's going to have to take a turn being part of the local sheriff's office or whatever it is you, you decide to call it. Um, protecting that neighborhood. And the way to do it is through defensive operations. So in your opinion, it's really important when you do an area study for your location to take into account all these other factors, ingress, egress points, all these things and how you're going to secure them and how many numbers, how many people you're going to need for that. Yeah, so it's really important to look at the ways in which people can get to you. Uh, it's the same thing that Mike Shelby teaches in his course. Uh, in fact, he and I are recording a session on Friday. Uh, you have to look at every possible way to get into your smaller area and figure out how you're either going to stop people from coming in that way or how you're going to observe it so that you know who is coming in. So I might have a, a trail crossing around the back of my neighborhood that we're not necessarily going to block, but I might detail a couple of people to watch it for a day or two to see if mm-hmm. anyone's moving along it. Uh, and one of the one of the biggest things that people overlook are um, are the uh, utility right of ways, right where the power lines go through. That's a big thing that people overlook. And I might want to detail some people to watch it, or I might want to just like the book shows. I might want to drop some trees across that so that nobody comes up it and comes up a bad way in there. Uh, I really like the obstacle chapter in that book, and uh, I think that we could devise a class around building some of those fun obstacles. So. Yes, sir. So, uh, John, so are you going to offer these classes? Are these in-person classes you're going to be doing? These will be in-person classes in various locations, like um, like at NC Scouts facility. Uh, I've got some properties up here in Michigan that people will let me use, uh, and then at our Montana facility that we'll be opening up next year. Um, yeah, travel in, come hang out, spend three or four days doing one of these courses and and learn some skills and actually practice them. It's one thing to have the book and read it. It's another to get out and say, okay, today we're dropping down four trees and dragging these logs across the road. We're going to build a tank trap or we're going to build an abatis mm-hmm. or we're going to build a, a knife rest or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, get some get some trigger time pulling out coils of uh, concertina wire uh, and putting it back up. So good stuff. Yeah, I, I, I see where this is going, and I knew it was going here. See, I make a statement, and this is this is kind of geared to both of you, but um, I tell the things you were talking about, to me, is that's when your planning goes poorly. These skills are the number one thing in the world. My idea is to be at my retreat – so a lot of this stuff, I have experts in the fields that can do all this stuff. But right now, as I know within PrepperNet, we teach, our goal is to get people in groups. That's our number one thing. We think our the, the number one prep anyone can do is to be a part of a group. Number two is, is skills. Um, but my goal is to be at my retreat so I'm not laying... I'm not doing a lot of this stuff. We've already pre-planned and already done a lot of this stuff. But anyway, 
But we're getting into that the details. Because the he had a blowout point. along the way, and the bad guys stole his car. Now what are you going to do? Well, you, that doesn't happen in my world. <laughs> <laughs> so again, listen, I got a nice little world and how it's all going to work. Okay, don't destroy that. <laughs> well, that's that kind of that's what I said at the outset of this when when you asked me why I really recommend these books. Is these books are, in my opinion, are the reality of worst case scenario. Yeah. So if you prepare for the best and you experience the worst, you're in a lot of trouble. Yes. But if you experience, you prepare for the worst and you never need, it's like a fire extinguisher in your kitchen. You know, I agree with you on that. I learned from the Firefox series, the guy, he made a statement that stuck with me. I'll never forget it. He goes, the more you know up here, the less you have to carry back there. That's right. Well, that's true. And And that's kind of been the entire philosophy of my books is that they're not gear centric. They're skill centric. Yes. You need Mm -hmm. the skills more than you need the gear. There is some minimum gear you need, but you need skills more than more than gear. But I think that um, I want to answer a question in the chat while also mentioning following up on what what was just said is uh, somebody said, can you what can you recommend to help break through to those who don't know what's coming up? You know what? The best thing you could do is show them, let them let them see the 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 crisis that's developing in South Africa and -hmm. pay attention to what's going on there. And a great way to do that is my friend, Canine Reaper. Uh, he's, he's got a camera, he's out on patrol every day and he's documenting what's going on. Um, that's your future, whether you know it or not, what happens in South Africa comes here in 12 to 18 months. So that's a great way. The other way is this, um, myself and several others have spent a lot of time in our adult lives inside collapsed societies. When you do an evacuation of a U.S. embassy, it's because that country has completely collapsed and devolved into warfare. Yep. Uh, and, and you're in a town where there are seven different factions fighting each other. You might learn a thing or two about living in that kind of an environment. Uh, when you're driving uh, a construction executive around Iraq or through Haiti after the earthquakes or or wherever, and, and, and you, you develop some, some skill living inside that environment, while you're out there doing all this, you got to live in that environment. So we're sleeping on garage floors in our sleeping bags, and we're setting security all night long to deal with these things. So hard-won experience is where these books come from. Um, and and then, then the tales that you pick up along the way, like, for example, when when we were talking to a guy about going with him to Haiti, he said, no, 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 you get you guys cost too much money. I'm going to get locals. And I said, listen, you don't want to get locals in Haiti. This is a terrible, terrible right. idea. Mm-hmm. So a couple of weeks later, he calls. He's like, so I got to go back to Haiti. But let me tell you what happened the first time. Uh, I hired a local, even though he told me not to. And we get out in the middle of this community. And all of a sudden, a, cow- a crowd started to gather. And my security guards that I hired told me the car was broken down. And the local mechanic could fix it for $10,000 cash. And so I had to give them $10,000 cash. I'm like, oh, so you got robbed by your security right. detail. Fantastic. Yep. But that's the reality of a collapsed society. They'll draw you out and take everything you have. So right. a better way to do that is to be more prepared for it. Maybe learn the skills, learn some abilities. Don't put yourself in those kind of positions, you know, by being the guy who says, hey, I'm going to have people for that when I get there. They might mm-hmm. not get there. <laughs> I'm just messing with you about that one. but Yeah, anyway. I agree. Yeah, I agree for sure. I mean, we I mean, since I think that way, I've you know, I've I've trained. I'm a survivor. I mean, I've done all the training. I've been doing this. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've been doing this, but some of us, 
I've been a prepper since Y2K. And so, um, yeah. And so I've, I've actually had a survival group since the summer of 2000 and we yeah. have a retreat and, um, it gets to a point though. You're like, okay, we, we need something else to kind of scare us to get back on point. I mean, yeah. we, we, we've had every person I can think of at our retreat. I'm not going to mention any people, medical names that people have been to our, cause, um, <laughs> but, any, but we've had, you know, all kinds of training. And so the, the goal is to, for us is to get away from people. Um, people and that's are, really the biggest key, right? To learn that, Hey, you might have to get away from people, but just because yeah. you have a retreat location doesn't mean you don't need a backup location. Oh, I come there. True. Absolutely. Better to go. And, and, and I think that that's mentioned in, in, in defensive operations book yep. is your bug out location needs a bug out location. And look, yes. you guys are sitting there. There's, there's 12 of you. You see 25 guys coming. The better option to do strap on the bags and leave. You can come back later. I've been so. saying, I, I preach that. I So only about 15 to 20% of all our goods are actually at our retreat. So if yeah. we get it's hidden or stashed or somewhere, but Jonathan Hollerman's book, um, survival theory was good. Um, and it talked about, Hey, gunfights, people die. And yeah. what's behind you you're protecting is your loved ones. So just go. And then I also like what he says too, you can come back and take your retreat or your property one person at a time. <laughs> you know, I think that probably a big eye opener, this might go to, to Father John's question. October 7th really should have opened a lot of eyes. Uh, these folks were just going about their daily lives in a modern Western society when all of a sudden mm. the bad guys were among them and they were just killing and maiming people yeah. left and right. Yeah. And there's the great story there of uh, Miss Lieberman who started passing out rifles and said, okay, they're coming for us. We can sit and wait for them to get here. or I could take my five best shooters, go down the road, and we ambush them way away from here. And guess what? Her people were all fine. They won their fight. They had zero casualties, and they killed over two dozen of the enemy. Uh, I get it. That's war, and it's a war-torn area. But let me, let me say this. To your friends who resist you on prepping, ask them what they think would happen in America today if 9-11 happened. It wouldn't be what happened the first time. We would have half the country blaming the other half for what happened, mm. and you would see open conflict on the streets. We're already seeing it. So that might be a good what if. What if a 9-11 level attack happened inside America today? You would not get the same response you got the last time. No, absolutely not. Sheepdog, come on, man. All right. You got to jump in, man. Well, I it, I was waiting for a space. So, <laughs> but I mean, now that's really pertinent information. I mean, to reinforce all the positives of this of these books was mm -hmm. my goal. Well, not my goal. I'm just a guest. But I really want people to understand why all these things matter and how this program builds cumulatively to your squared away. Um, now, the, the scouting and patrolling book, um, again, it was really good information. Um, real, real numbers and basic skills, right? Everybody underestimates. They think they can cover a hundred acres of land with five people 
and and they can't do it. Not gonna not happen. 20, not twenty four hours a day. So um, from the defensive operations into the scouting and patrolling, how far out would you scout and patrol normally, or or recommend? I would recommend about a five mile radius around your facility. You need to know every little thing that's going on in that five mile radius. So actually, when you're looking at that, let me rephrase five miles straight line. That's a 10 mile radius, right? Uh, in each direction. So you know what's going on, what the egress points are, what the conflicts are that are happening. There could be conflicts between other folks that you don't know that could lead to problems for you. Refugees from one area, people coming through, whatever it is. So, um, as the as the book points out, you need to develop relationships with everyone else within that radius mm-hmm. so that you're sharing information and developing plans to work together if you need to. Uh, and that book really pushes that out there, right? I need to be running not just security at my own location, but I need to be running an observation post down there at the highway interchange or down mm-hmm. there at the down there at that big intersection that people used to come through all the time that that kind of leads to the shadier part of town and where I live. I need to be watching that. I need to be watching that that uh, railroad uh, crossing or the, the railroad tracks that run through about a mile uh, south of our location. So I know who's using it uh, and maybe encourage them to keep on using it if they come near my area. Right. Mm-hmm. Just keep on walking. So you yep. need to make your presence felt in that big of an area. And really where the whole idea for that book came from is when I was in the Marine Corps, they have a manual called Scouting and Patrolling that they've updated every few years. And it came from a book written by Colonel Rex Applegate in World War II. Uh, America was found really not ready for war in World War II. So Colonel Applegate went back and he wrote a book based actually on some things written in 1757 uh, by the by the Rangers, Ro- uh, Roberts, uh, Rogers Rangers or Roberts Rangers, however, it, whichever it is. And so he wrote this book. And I've been I've been I really liked that book when I was in the Marine Corps. And I always would get the new version whenever it came out. But the problem is it got so high tech reliant and so reliant on a bigger support force. You and I can't say, okay, well, we're getting ambushed by a large group. Let's pull back, call for artillery and get a medevac for my wounded guys. We can't do that. Right. We have to go back to the old school skills um, that were in there. And so we went back there and I, I updated it for the modern civilian warrior rather than a military one. And so I really enjoyed doing that one. It's probably been my favorite one so far. Uh, and I didn't just take from the Americans. I took things from the British and from, from the South Africans and Rhodesians and a few other good Western forces, the French. Uh, I took a lot of good stuff and threw it in there along with real world experience about what's happened on these things. Uh, and, and most importantly, as I point out in all of my books, the experience of the U.S. Marines on Guadalcanal in 1942 uh, really kind of drove it home. What happened was the Marines landed and then the Navy had to leave because the Japanese drove them off. So here you've got a few thousand Marines on an island with no resupply. They learned very quickly how to purify water, learn how mm-hmm. to find clean water, how to how to hunt, how to get food uh, and do all of these things. And so that institutional experience um, has stuck with the Marines. And afterward, General Vandegrift, who was in charge of that whole thing, said, we got to go back to the skills of the French and Indian War. And that's... Uh, that's kind of what we talk about in that book. So. Well, let me ask a question about my, because uh, literally there's not many people for me to go to and ask about survival groups because every, everyone thinks it's a myth. But I, um, in my group, and I tell people this and they're astonished. Um, if you count 
everybody in our group, we have a hundred around 150 people in our group. Now that's counting babies, elderly people, um, you know, like my wife's mother, if she's not there, my wife will be useless. Anyway, so it's people that are not in the group. They're just people that are going to be invited because others, we love them. You know what I mean? But 144 people and we, we're on, I tell people my bug out retreat is on the beach of Miami um, because everyone wants to know where it is. But I mean, but we we're we have about uh, I don't know fifty acres of land, and we still probably don't have enough people to to literally that are people that are working people with sh- soldiers with you know the plates and everything and um. That's but, why um, that, that that's a very important point. That's absolutely true, and that's yeah. why um, in, in both defensive operations and scouting and patrolling, I talk about. Dividing it up, everyone takes a, a takes a, a, a turn working on the on the fence line, but you've got four or eight guys that are your quick reaction force. Those are your best trained, most fit mm-hmm. dudes, who are your emergency response force. That's your nine one one, and those guys might get a little more food than everyone else, and might get a little more rest than everyone else, but they're also mm-hmm. going to be doing a lot more work than everyone else. So you got to figure out who those guys are and pick them early, and um, they're always on call. Those guys are going to have that. Uh, that that issue but yeah no matter how many people you think you have you need more and, and even on 60 to 80 acres we run a course where we've had 30 people on one side and 60 on the other and you just don't realize how big 80 acres right. is you mm-hmm. can move around all day long and not run into each other so uh that big of a property is going to require a pretty aggressive patrolling schedule to, to get and look at mm-hmm. it all uh, and, and maybe a couple of strong observation posts. So, so yeah, we we have a policy in our group that if you're 13, you're an adult. Yep. When, when the crap hits the fan. And look, those eight to 13 year olds can do other tasks for you. They make great mm-hmm. messengers. They can run mm-hmm. messages back and forth. They can carry supplies back and forth. They can run radios out to people, whatever is needed. And like I said, the the less able, the older folks, folks in a wheelchair, somebody's already injured. They can help in the command center. They can run a radio. They can work yep. in the medical section. Uh, everyone will have at least two jobs, and that's important. So, uh, mm-hmm. and we don't we don't overlook anyone. So, let me ask you a question. Since we're talking about this, and maybe someone mentioned something. I mean, this is the question we always ask someone. I mean, Joe, with all your wisdom, I mean, your tactical wisdom, with all your wisdom, <laughs> I mean, are you are we getting ready for a civil war? I just um, I, or a grid down, or, or what, or both. <laughs> I, I would anticipate both. In all, in all honesty. So, if anyone has ever watched me on the Council on Future Conflict, my number one prediction. First of all, they call me Joe Stradamus over there, and and I see snipers oh, in the chat, and Marcus is in the chat. Some of my fans are in the chat, and I'll tell you, I, I am very rarely wrong in my predictions. Right? Okay. Uh, I, I predicted the Ukraine war like within a day, uh, and there's a lot of other things out there, but. I would tell you this. Uh, no, we're not preparing for civil war. You're already in one. You're in a cold civil war. Mm-hmm. And um, three young men, young Palestinian men were shot on Saturday. This could lead to more conflict, uh, obviously, because they were Palestinian. Um, there's groups out there uh, like the black Hebrew Israelites who are killing people every month. Uh, they're a mm-hmm. black separatist group. Uh, there are a lot of different groups out there already doing it. There are some 
silly Aryan brotherhood type groups way out West doing dumb, silly things on that side. So um, I think that a hot civil conflict is absolutely impending. My biggest prediction, though, is that World War III will not be a fight between China, Russia, and the U.S. It'll be a collection of civil wars fought all over the world. Why do I think that? Look at Ireland today. They're on the verge of a full-on civil war. France has been on the verge of a full-on civil war for years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sudan has degraded into one all over the world. We're seeing these civil conflicts, mostly because of a lack of American leadership. Uh, that's not going to get better anytime soon. And uh, I, I think that it's it's time to really realize where you are. Uh, and on the other side, if you're looking at ESBG, you're right. The Stone Mountain people, the, the NFAC was Black Hebrew Israelites. You're 100% right. Uh, the, other, the other point to make is that if I'm China or Iran or North Korea or Russia, I know I can't take on the U.S. necessarily directly. But I can flip that light switch. And if you flip the light switch here, it's going to cause massive death and destruction and so much of a struggle that the U.S. military will become irrelevant on the global stage because they'll be so busy trying to maintain internal order, which we don't have enough troops to do. We are a very large country. It's just physically impossible. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would anticipate some sort of a grid problem. Our grid is already failing and in bad shape. And we've seen some probing attacks that would indicate this. Um, the attack in Moore County, North Carolina. Yep. I, I don't think that was a one-off. I think that was a yep. proof of concept. Someone mm -hmm. was testing out to see if they could do it. The same with the Metcalf incident back in California a few years prior. These were probing attacks to see if it would work. Uh, it's worth noting that both incidents involved 7.62 by 39 ammo. I think that's relevant. So uh, I, I, I'm just saying there's going to be some power issues and if I was a, another power who wanted to move on an island like, say, ta Taiwan, or I wanted to move on the rest of Ukraine, uh, what's the best way to do it? Cause chaos in America first. Easiest mm -hmm. way to do it with our open border is to have somebody shut off the lights. Yep. Great sheepdog. You, you, you're, you're terrible at jumping in. So I have to open the door yeah, for yeah. you. So um, you brought up all these different groups, uh, like the uh, – Black Hebrew Israelites and uh, neo-Nazi weirdos. Um, what's a good source of information to find out how prevalent that is in your in an area you're in? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you there are two things you can do. The first thing is is uh, I'm gonna plug somebody who's not even on here, and, and I'm gonna tell you that Mike Shelby's far left playbook uh, is certainly something to sign up for. He will tell you everything that is going on across the country every single day. And he puts it out on Friday that gives you a list of the planned protests uh, all over. So that's a great way to know. The other way is learn who is in your area. And Facebook is the way to do it. Uh, our side tends to gravitate towards Twitter. Their side tends to gravitate towards Facebook because Facebook is a much more permissive environment. Search for groups like the Democratic Socialists or the Party for Socialism and Liberation, PSL, which is actually a left-wing militia, the Socialist Rifle Association, and the John Brown Gun Club. Mm -hmm. If you look for those things, the playbook is called the Far yeah. Left Playbook, Sandra. Uh, if you're, uh, it's, a, it's a weekly service. If you are paying attention to those different groups I just mentioned at your local area, you'll be well ahead of the game. 
Uh, yes. Just know who your agitators are locally and then start following their pages. And I don't mean actually click on and follow and let them know you're following them. Right. Just go and yes. look at them every day. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so we're going to be offering Prepernet. Um, Mike Shelby and I, we talked, um, he's getting ready to offer a, um, a summit. And from the summit, we're going to be offering a, um, a, like a free, like month of his newsletter. So you can kind of see, so PrepperNet people can get a special discount as well. So we're working all that. I think the summit, I don't know when it is. I've, um, yeah, I'm doing my recording for the summit on Friday. I don't I don't know when the actual summit is. but Yeah, I did one I recording. I subscribe to every one of his services. They're yes. fantastic. Yes. Another good one is Knightsbridge. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, Sam Copler is one of the expert panel members for PrepperNet. Um, and we need to get you on there. Um, but he, he's been a, a good friend of PrepperNet for a long time and he is, um, um, yeah, so that that's coming up. I don't know when that's offered. I know I record it once and we're going to record something again. And then when I think we're doing something live, are you doing something live too? Like after your recording shows? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that's going to be fun. But Mike, Mike Shelby, I, it's hard for me to stop calling him Sam Copler. I know. Right. Um, I've got two of his books here. One says Sam Culper and one says Mike Shelby. Uh, so he gave me a book. This was at Mountain Readiness last time I saw him, um, which was last last May. And I'm like, great. He goes, he gave me a book. He goes, yeah, I signed it and everything. He goes, but there's one thing wrong. And I'm like, what? He goes, your book's upside down. So he gave me his book and you open the cover and it's the back. So I will not let him replace it. He's offered to replace it, but that's oh, that's hilarious. awesome. Yeah, I would so, like that um, one like that. That's kind of a he, special one. Yeah, he's coming to cool. Mountain Readiness. I think I think he just taught a class, um, like last weekend uh, up at Harmony, North Carolina. I think it wasn't him. It was his friend, um, whatever his name was. But anyway, so um, go ahead. Um, I'd uh, like to sheepdog. We got a few more minutes here. All right. Well, I'd like to circle back on something in that scouting and patrolling book. You talk about using basic primitive original skills for the scouting and patrolling, patrolling. And then you mentioned drones. How viable in a non-permissive environment do you think they would be? So if you look at it, I mentioned drones mostly from a negative aspect, right? Yes. Uh, First of all, drones you don't want to use because uh, I cover it because everyone's going to ask me the question. I say, so you could, you could. But if if I'm up there using a drone, all the bad guy has to do is watch that drone and he knows where I am. And he also knows that I have the ability to generate power or I have enough supplies that I've got batteries to fly my drone. Mm -hmm. Drones are a net negative for you. You don't really want to use them. They're not going to be as useful to you as you think. So, So that's the first thing. The reason why I also mentioned them in that book is drones are incredibly easy to defeat. There's a lot of people who think, wow, this this drone thing, I just can't beat it. They're going to find me. All you have to do is get underneath the tree and you've defeated a drone. It's done. It can't see you. It can't detect your heat signature. So we talk about the drones in there from, hey, some of you are going to use them. Let me tell you how to use them smartly, but I really don't recommend you use them at all because they're more of a liability. They make noise. People can follow you back to them. There they are. But the reality of the world is, is everyone wants to talk about drones. So I decided to throw it in there. Yes, sir. I, um, I have one more question, though. Yes, sir. Um, it was asked earlier about getting people who aren't awake or don't really understand the dilemma we're in. If you could, 
if you had a way, what would be the best way to get all these young guys that just came out of a 20-year war and have been kind of discarded to get them where they would share their knowledge and skills with with other people or come into a group as an asset? So we're involved with a, a, a charity in Northwest Montana called the Northwest Montana Veterans Food Pantry. And they do a lot of veteran events. But what, what we have learned is that the GWAT vet doesn't like to do the same things the old school Vietnam vet or Cold War vet wants to do. You know what the global war on terror vet wants to do? He wants to go shoot stuff. He wants to blow yeah. stuff up. He wants to run in the woods and have fun. So if you invite them, they'll come and share their skills. They will love it. And that's what they like to do. Um, it's it, For them coming back to this society we're in now, it was the one time they felt a part of a tribe. I guarantee you. When when uh, when a man lays his hands in the life of another man, it's a different thing, right? It's not like ah, I work with these guys and we're working together to sell widgets. No, man, it, literally they were trusting each other with their lives. Mm-hmm. So when you give them the opportunity to get out and do the same thing again, they will and they'll love it. So I guess the answer to your question is just invite them. They'll share their skills with you. They love to. Be worthwhile to maybe visit BFW yeah. and USO stuff. And yeah. You try to pass out some things because it's something we're really lacking is youth and, and Bible and, and skills, people with real skills. That's sort of a community that, that NC scout and I are building and a couple of others, Clay Martin, he's involved in our Montana project along with Wyoming tactical um, is building this community of, of former veterans because we can see the writing on the wall. There are bad times coming, but we've got this untapped potential of tens of thousands of young men or or, or men, you know, middle-aged men or more wise, tactically wise men like myself who've spent the last 20, 25 years fighting an insurgency. It might be the wrong guys to upset if you're a central government because in order to fight an insurgency, you got to become pretty darn good at insurgency uh, right. or at least learn a little bit about it. And so we certainly want to tap that potential, invite those guys in, give them a home, make them feel welcome. And uh, absolutely, absolutely. So at PrepNet, we we love veterans for sure. And so our biggest push is meeting people in your local community so you can possibly form groups or just when, you know, local disasters happen um, that you can have a community with preppers because people in your cul-de-sac might not think the same way and might not share the same views as you. But when the crap hits the fan, you're going to need a support system. You're going to yep. need a group. But if if you don't have a, a group and a bug out, you know, retreat, the whole works. You need a you 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 need to come together within communities, small communities. And you know, one of the things that we support is you know small towns getting 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 out of the city as well. Uh, yeah. And just go ahead and bugging out now in a sense, um, and, and be ready for it because this stuff's coming. I mean, I read the Bible. You read the Bible. We know it's going to get worse and worse and worse like we've never seen before. And I asked one of the smart, smartest biblical guys walking the planet Earth. His name was Dr. Norman Geisler. And I asked him, I said, this Matthew 24 in the Bible really bugs me. It's doom and gloom, doom and gloom. He goes, you're reading it wrong. And I'm like, what What do you mean I'm reading it wrong? He goes, Forrest, it, it's a warning. 
it doesn't mean it's going to come to pass for all believers. It's a warning, just like the warnings in the Old Testament. And that's why I did my wrote my books, because if God warns us, he expects us to be prepared for it. And so, so if there's famine, if there's earthquakes, if there's, you know, uh, lack of food, all these things are coming. We 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 know it's coming because the Bible says it. We need to be prepared as believers and even non-believers. If you don't believe in the same, you know, is what I believe it's coming and we need to be prepared. So Jeremiah is probably the most unpopular guy in the Bible. Can you imagine having been Jeremiah? So Jeremiah yeah. had the job of, of warning the people that, hey, your society is about to collapse. Right. Right. So he was walking yeah. around. Hey, guys, we shouldn't do this. They're all probably all like, oh, bro, here comes Jerry again. He's going to tell us we're all going to die. Uh, but Jeremiah is also where we get the biblical command to have a bug out bag. Jeremiah 10, 17 says, gather your belongings to leave the land. You who live under siege. It's in yeah. uh, my first book. And uh, that that's Jeremiah literally saying, hey, man, you should probably pack a bag and be ready to go at a moment's notice. And yep. when you look through the Old Testament, it is a series of events where Jerusalem was doing good. They started doing really good. And they got cocky and they got destroyed and taken back. And that happens five or six times throughout the Old Testament. Over and over and over again. Why would we think history stopped for us? Right. right? Um, this this society we live in in America and in the in the greater West, in, in say, France and in England and to a lesser extent, some other parts of Europe. That's the bubble. That's that's the fake part. Mm-hmm. War and strife yeah. that goes on in the rest of the world is the normal part. Yes. So we're living in the artificial section. So when people say, oh, you're preparing for something that might never happen. No, I'm preparing for something that is guaranteed to happen. Yep. It just hasn't for a very long time. And I think that's the important, important message we need to get across to people. It is inevitable. We just don't know the timeline. Right. Well, I'm so, going to get into predicting timelines next year. About BG where he says, is there any question that you have pull or, or do you have any chance you have pull with NC Scout? Yes, I do. Prepper net discount. But on what? That's the question. <laughs> Who was that? That was BG, I believe. Yeah, That's it is bad. BG. Yeah. Um, so like on courses, probably not, but on his shop, I can get back to you with an answer on that. Okay. So well, BG, she cannot fit it in her car, but I'm, I appreciate you asking that for others, Beth. So uh, <laughs> I will ask the question, BG. I, she says on courses, I will ask the question. Okay. Uh, by the way, he's having a big radio one in January. I'll be at it. So where's his, is he, how far is that from Charlotte? When, um, his location I'm not from North Carolina, how would I know? It's by Asheville, uh, it's, it's by Danville, um, by Danville, Virginia. Okay, that's north. Okay, I'll have to look it up and find out. So, yeah, he's just south of uh, of Danville. Um, we have we have a lot going on there. So, we've got the uh, a radio, we have three different radio classes going on, uh, in mid January, and then in February, we have the Scout and Recce course. And then the only thing I know after that is going to be in Montana in April. So so we have a whole PrepperNet has we have our own net. I think we have a persistent net. We we're partnered with Amron, pretty big with yep. Amron. And we uh, we've been doing a big push on on ham radios, even just listening for some people when it comes to HF digital. 
We introduced JSA Call, and in January, we're going to introduce um, FL, FL Digi. And um, so but we're, you know, we, we're, teach, uh, we teach in the advanced RTO class how to use FL Digi with your handheld Baofeng radios. Yes. Mm-hmm. To send digital messages. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know before the sad hams leave us 50,000 comments, it is legal to send data over GMRS as long as it's short data. So. Hmm. Go, go ahead, Sheepdog. I'm opening the door for you. I'm letting it go. I'm walking away. I'm, uh, I, I believe in that uh, QRP short duration, minimal exposure. The longer you transmit, the higher the power, the more likely you are to be found. 100%. Yep. And so I, I run, I have a ICOM 7300. I've never had it over 20 watts. So yeah. um, I usually run a five watt radio and I minimize all the transmission minimal time just to practice because you, well, I think the Marine Corps is 30 seconds in an emergency and it's yeah. I think it's 15 normal time for a transmission of data per transmission. So I kind of think they know about exposure. So I yeah, do try we to teach, we teach uh, a little bit of HF, but mostly we're talking uh, VHF, UHF, and using directional antennas and data bursts to mm-hmm. limit that exposure as much as you can. And uh, that's vital. We also teach, uh, in, in, I, I say we, he teaches it. I just sit there and look good because I'm not nearly as smart as him, but I am better looking. So uh, <laughs> I, I sit there and look good. I'm glad he's here. I'll probably hear about this. But uh we teach direction finding for that purpose because in a, in a, in a collapse or, or some type of danger situation, anyone using a radio near you is a threat and you need to know who it is and why. So we teach how to direction find and, and all that kind of stuff, use a spectrum analyzer and a, and a, and a loop antenna and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and when you answer your question, uh, the flathead Valley. So up by Kalispell and big fork. Oh yeah. My group, carries one of these on a rig for close call. So you can find out what the heck's going on around you as you're walking in the woods. Absolutely. And I recommend people do that. Like, like, so I do protection work. So if I'm going to be protecting a client somewhere, I drive into the area the day before and I use the close call to see who all is using the radio in that area. Yeah. That way I know what frequencies I can use uncluttered. Yeah. This one is a more expensive one, (laughs) but, um, um, but the close call, we we literally put on our chest rig right there, so we know if someone's coming around. But um, yes, yep. so we we're, we're you got to have the technology to keep it safe from EMPs, which I'm not a big thing about an EMP, but I think more of a cyber attack. Um, but then you got to be able to charge it in the grid down as well, and that's why, I, you know. Yep, you need some yeah. solar panels. I really think that that EMP is a less risk, but mm-hmm. but. Overloading our grid is absolutely a high risk, high probability event. Yes, I agree 100%. Um, there's another person, the Beth, wants to know what event we're having in January in Danville. Uh, NC Scout is teaching uh, a radio telephone operator, advanced RTO, and signals intelligence all in a row. You can buy one, two, or all three. You get a discount if you buy all three and all that stuff. So it's a great course. I know Marcus in the chat has been through it. Uh, a couple of the others, uh, we will be doing uh, 
So we're doing the radio courses in January. In February, it's a three-day scout course followed by a three-day recce course. You can do the whole six days or the first three or the second three, whatever you want. But they teach you the basic patrolling skills. That's what the scout class is for. Recce is a little bit more advanced. And in recce, we tie in radios with patrolling, and we're sending digital messages back and forth while on patrol and all kinds of good stuff. Uh, I play a bad guy at the scout and recce course. So if you want the opportunity to shoot at me, that's your best chance. I'm coming. (laughs) But I warn you, I have been known to bayonet students, and I am sneaky. I'm not fast, but I am sneaky. (laughs) (laughs) Sneaky wins a lot. Hey, Sheepdog, we've been on here for a while now, almost two hours. You got any last questions? Uh, no, sir. Um, I just really appreciate the time and, and the answers to the questions. And uh, you just verified some beliefs I held, and I appreciate it a whole lot. Sir. Yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> now you- it sounds like one of you got proven right and one of you got proven wrong. So <laughs> I like that. I'm here for the conflict. All about it. And, and, yeah. and Beth, leave your car the way it is. Make it even worse. Irritate them. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, well, um, I don't, you know, if you guys will we'll take last questions. If you got to have a question, let us know in the chat room and there's a little delay. Hey, but thank you so much for coming home. I've been, we've been wanting to do this for a while and yeah, with everyone, the travel schedule has been a little crazy, but, but now we're in good shape. So, and I'd love for you to come back, you know, sometime soon, but we, um, I mean, we, we've been buying your books. We've been reading your books, been teaching your books. At least three of our meetups, and that's in Raleigh, North Carolina, that's Asheville, North Carolina, and Charlotte, North Carolina. And I think there's a couple other groups that are getting ready to start teaching your books because they're they're so simple. It's it's the skills that you need up here. That's what we get from your books. Um, and uh, yeah, the more you have in your brain, the more skills you have, the less you have to carry on your back. So, so oh look, um, you get a shout out there, Sheepdog. Um, thanks for co-hosting. Oh, yeah very welcome yeah 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 before long there are people will be putting maybe he should be the only host yeah i get it uh, <laughs> but any uh, great interview uh thank you beth any other questions smart gap transmitter works for cw yes okay um you know I think that's it. So are you going to go to anything like prepper prepper camp or uh, mountain readiness or anything? You know, you know, I was invited to mountain readiness the last time, but my schedule was full. So I will, uh, I'll get with angry American. He's the one who told me to come. Uh, yep. See what's going on there. Uh, Risky Krisky and I went together to the self-reliance festival in Camden, Tennessee. Uh, I yep. might do that again in the spring. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I'll be at all kinds of events. I just don't usually, I don't. I don't have us get a get a schedule as far out advance as you guys do. So I kind of fill in the gaps. So gotcha. if you know of anything I should be at, let me know and I'll try to get in there. Okay. So, um. Yeah. We. I mean. Gosh. I just well, made some notes from the prepper camp and a, and a couple of the others that you just talked about. So. Well, we um um, mountain readiness is something we're going to put. We're going to be putting a lot of effort into. Last year was our first year. Of course, you know, uh, you know, Chris is there um, and he brings all his people, Chris Weatherman or Angry American. But so we're going to be there. I'm hoping we have several hundred people there. Um, and, you know, PrepperNet, we just kind of like a family, even where I mean, we're nationwide. We're 
we have 120 meetups. Um, we're looking for leaders for some, but we're growing. And yeah, I think we're doing a, the right thing of connecting people locally with other preppers. Um, and we got, uh, so anyway. I wrote um, an article about that, about the need for that over on tactical-wisdom.com. If you read the article that I just put up about Thanksgiving and, mm-hmm. and, we need those events where folks go meet each other face to face. Stop being afraid of the feds. If you don't talk about crazy things, it doesn't matter what you do. Right. And if they're there, right. Right. Make them write reports about you talking about recipes for cookies. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, stop being afraid of it. They want you afraid of meeting. Defy them by getting out and going to events and meeting each other face to face. I agree a hundred percent with that. So um, so give us your your digits again. I think I have it here. If you guys right, down uh, every way of getting a hold of me. So first is uh, is tactical wisdomcom That's my website. Uh, there's a contact me section there. It's kind of under construction. I've got T-shirts there and books there. You can get signed copies of all my books uh, on there. And um, so there's that. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Dolio J D O L I O J. Um, that's one good way of getting a hold of me. Uh, you can watch the Council on Future Conflict on YouTube or, Rem, uh, or Rumble every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 8 to 10 uh, a.m. Uh, you can also find me on Locals. I have my own Locals community. It's tacticalwisdom.locals.com where we talk about all kinds of cool stuff. I might put out a little more, little more intelligence content there that I get from non-public sources and things like that. And um, that's pretty much where you can find me. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Sheepdog, you're up. Oh, well, I appreciate your time. You, I guess everybody knows I'm on the preppernet.net at 757 Sheepdog. You can message, message me there. Um, I write a blog uh, on WordPress, 757 Sheepdog at wordpress.com, and I'm available. Anybody has any questions, needs help, it doesn't matter where you're at. I'll try to answer your question. If I don't know, I will tell you I don't know, and we'll try to find someone who does. Um, and then, I was going to say this, too, and there's a bunch of seed leaders on here. If you guys need material, get the books. If you need some guidance, maybe maybe Sheepdog can help you guys. Yeah, or absolutely. Even, or even Eric or, uh, you know, um, so but the, these are good books. Everyone should own these books for sure. They're, they're like the medical, uh, the medicine handbook, the medical handbook, medicine handbook by Dr. Joe and nurse Amy. They must, there must have books. And listen, if you get them from my website and they're signed, it's not worth anything now, but when the feds eventually kill me, it'll be worth a whole lot then. And you'll have gotten in on the ground floor. All right. <laughs> you probably see that on CNN at some point. You know, that is a when lesson for all everyone. three of my names. It's on. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That is a lesson for everyone is that authors, they have their books on their own personal website and they totally make more money. And it, it literally like, tr- well, I don't know if it's triple, but a substantial amount of more money if you buy it straight from them and you get stick figure art. Yeah. I mean, come on. If you, if you put in a note that you were on this show, Mm-hmm. Right in your order, I'll I'll say I'll draw you a picture. Yep, it, it's high quality art. Bob will tell you. I think Marcus has some of my art too. So, uh, oh, nice. Piper who's in the chat has some of my art too. 
nice his, his infamous fed cowboy hat that he wears so so go. and that's tactical-wisdom.com go there Correct. buy his books buy a shirt buy me a shirt i need a shirt um <laughs> and then we'll look at the classes um as well that you're going to be teaching in the in the area for we got a lot of preppers in the carolinas um and virginia area so that's that we can um promote i know nc scout would love me to move down there but that's not happening so well i mean if you want to freeze to death that's fine um (laughs) if i move i'm moving to montana yeah you know that's my i almost was stationed at worth smith michigan oh man i know I, I transferred. This was an 86 with the guy. I swapped with a guy going to Pope Air Force Base. Thank God I would have died up there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, up there, there's more bears than people. So, yeah. So, yeah. Montana's my emotional support state. Oh, yeah. You know what? I, I just went out there for the first time. Well, I mean, I went to, to Yellowstone when I was younger, but for the first time, actually, as an adult, I went out there, just, just hung out and had a deer literally walk right up to me, and there were turkeys everywhere. And, it's just gorgeous up there. So, yes, yeah. I think um, my I think Montana. That's where my friend um, Shelby and Glenn moved to Montana. There's a lot of interesting folks who live in Montana. You might actually be surprised at who all lives in Montana. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of former government types there. Oh, might yeah, be a well, reason for that. So, hey, guy. Hey, thank you so much for being on. Um, yes, sir. Thank you for your time, sir. You, the knowledge you're you're sharing with us was is amazing, and thank you for your books and everything you're doing. And everyone, go to tacticalwisdom.com, buy everything he has, everything. Nice. So, right. yeah. See you guys. This will not be the last time. I'll see you all later. Okay. Right. Hey, thank you guys, and we will see you guys um, next time on Sunday night at eight thirty. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Prepping Academy podcast. Preppers unite at www.preppingacademy.com. Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com.